0: 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll begin reading at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of all my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Dear Lord and our God, we just praise and thank you for your holy and precious word, and I pray it is a treasure to our souls. We pray now for the preaching of your holy word. I pray for our beloved pastor, Lord, that you would bless him, keep him, sustain him while he's behind this pulpit and wherever he goes. May truth of Jesus Christ be spoken right to our hearts. May it be so, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Happy Mother's Day. I'm so glad to be able to say that and to rejoice in every kind of motherhood that God has blessed us with, investing in lives and Nurturing them and loving them, even though it's sometimes very costly to do so. Moms are wonderful. I guess that's an empty statement because everybody would agree with it. Not anybody would dispute it. Most of us, maybe not all, but most of us saw our moms as, well, reliable, in control of every situation, wise. So wise that the words that came from their mouth, we knew we'd be reciting to our children and grandchildren for ages to come. Moms have it all. We would look at them and we wouldn't see, especially as we were growing up in youth, we wouldn't see any cracks in their armor whatsoever. And that's a lot of pressure on moms, isn't it? So today I have good news. Good news for all those moms who know they're not perfect who know their failings failing, sometimes weep over their failings. Here's the good news. The light of God's glory shines in weakness. It's through those cracks in your armor that your children will see God's strength and God's grace. In fact, your perfection, the aura of perfection may in fact shield and hide their eyes from seeing what God is really doing and what God is really about. So I'd like to look at this text. So briefly, I'm going to be really focusing on mothers, but I'll look at this text very briefly. And then look at how really it's the Lord God who is in charge of the birth of children, the nurture of children, and most particularly the salvation of our children the theme of the text that was read is captured in verse 10 in a statement that I guess might seem paradoxical. When I am weak, then I am strong. But we understand what Paul is saying. Paul explains it well. But of course, moms are strong in and of themselves, in the eyes of their children. That's what children see. They have powers. Their love is limitless. Their kiss has magic in it. I remember myself, and I'm sure you remember as children, running to your mom with every cut and bruise, and she could fix it, every wound of the heart, and she'd know just what to say. One of our children once bit their tongue. You know how much that hurts. And the child was screaming and crying. We couldn't figure out what the words meant. You know, they were muffled. Well, the tongue was hurt. And finally figured out, the child was asking Jill to kiss the tongue. It has magic. It can fix everything. It's really powerful. Moms are like that. Mom's love never fails. It's almost godlike, isn't it? I had a friend who was raised in a faith that was antagonistic to Christianity, and he came to faith in Christ. And his family kicked him out of the home. He's a young man, about college age. No contact. You can't touch us. No weddings, no funerals, no celebrations, no letters, no cards, no emails. We don't want to hear anything from you. But you know what he said? His mom secretly kept in touch with him. You can't hide, you can't keep that from anybody, the love of mom. So moms, on the one hand, when children see them, seem, well, invincible, perfect, warm. There's nothing better than to be with them. But uh, we know, and the scriptures tell us, that moms are sinners in need of a Savior. And children have to see that. Children have to see that. If I can paraphrase verse 7 in the text that was read, maybe I could put it like this. To keep children from exalting mom and hiding the glory of God's grace in them, God allows all moms to be weak. And then the next verse we could say, you know, where in verse 8, Paul prays. He says he prayed three times with all strength that His weakness would leave him. Couldn't we say that moms pray day and night that somehow their weaknesses would be overcome, that they would be the kind of moms that their children think that they really are. But, as verse 9 says, God's power is perfected, completed in weakness. God's power is perfected in weakness. So that's the question I'm really asking moms today. What do children see when they look at you. What did they really see? Let them see moms that rely on God's grace, on God's strength more than on their own cleverness, more than the magic of their kiss, more than the assurance of a love which will never leave the children. Because it's through those cracks in their armor that the light of God's grace is going to shine on the children and transform them. So I'd like to think about this in terms of sort of the cycle of life, birth and nurture, and then what we all long for, the salvation of our children. So look at birth. We think birth is in our hands. I think we do. It's biology. We know biology. And it's an enormous decision that we have to make that's on our shoulders when to have children because we know it's going to change our life. One mom described it like this, the first baby I began wearing maternity clothes as soon as pregnancy was confirmed. Yes. Second baby, I wore my ordinary clothes for as long as I could. Third baby, my maternity clothes were my ordinary clothes. (laughs) Life changes. Man, life changes. And so we discuss it. We study it. We talk to husbands and wives, discuss it with themselves. Is it time to have children? How many children should we have? In what order should we have them? How much spacing should we have between them? Do we want boys or do we want girls? But every child is from the Lord. It's easy to forget the sovereign hand of God in giving us children. The first mother was Eve. In fact, we're told in Genesis that that's why she was called Eve. It says she was the mother of all living and she had a son named Cain. And with exultant joy, she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she was exactly right. Sometimes we don't give Eve enough credit, right? She had it exactly right. She knew it was from the Lord. And therefore, he belonged to the Lord. So, biology is just a tool that God uses. We have to see it as a hammer or a chisel that we might use. So, God uses biology to accomplish his purposes or to put it in the Figure that another great writer used, it's God's glove, and he slips his hand into that glove to accomplish his purposes. But we can't just look at the glove. We have to see God's hand manipulating the glove, using the glove to accomplish what he is going to accomplish. Children are from the Lord. Many generations after Eve came Sarah, a godly woman. But I think maybe she forgot that. God promised her a child, as you know. Abraham was getting old, and she was getting old, past the age of childbearing. And so she took matters into her own hands. Using a common practice of the time, she employed a surrogate, one of her servants, Hagar. And so Abraham had a baby through Hagar named Ishmael. And of course, to Rachel, that was like her son. I love him. He's my son. Finally, the Lord has blessed me. And God will smile at my ingenuity. Look. Look. I did what God had promised would happen. I accomplished it. But the Lord had a word for her. He made it clear. He says, no, Sarah, this baby will come from you. Not from a surrogate. This baby will come from you. And Scripture says Sarah laughed at the very thought of it. And God's reply actually echoes through Scripture. God said, really, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Birth." is by the hand of the Lord. Children are a blessing from the Lord. We could speak of many others throughout Scripture, right? Children are from the Lord. Hannah, you can read her story in 1 Samuel. and the beginning of that book, in the first chapter, it says, listen to these words, the Lord closed her womb. She couldn't have children. It was a source of great sadness and bitterness of soul for Hannah. But it says the Lord closed it. Lays responsibility directly at the feet of God, but with a reverence and a humility. I think in our day, if this kind of statement was made, it might be accompanied by anger and bitterness. What kind of God is this? You won't answer my prayer. You won't give me what I want. But if God is God, we have to bow before Him, don't we? And if God is good, which all of God's people know to be true, then we have to accept His choices, even if it's with tears because it's always with hope. There's some goodness in here that I don't recognize. So what did Hannah do? Well, she knows children are from the Lord, so she prayed to the Lord. And then it says, the Lord gave her a son, the Lord. And here's how she described it. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. Children are from the Lord. I guess I don't need to labor that point. You understand that, don't you? Children are from the Lord. Ultimately, It's not mom's choice. It's not dad's choice. It's not in our power. Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. It's from the Lord. So that's the first thing. We have to recognize that motherhood itself is something that God confers. Then we have these children and we have to nurture them. Let the children see that you depend on Christ's grace and power in the nurture of your children, as you train them, as you raise them up. Parents are, of course, obligated to train their children in the ways of the Lord. You know, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter six, in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter six. It's our first obligation before God to raise them up in the word of God, in the reverence and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else is as important. Of course we have to do that, but you know what? The results are from the Lord. The results are from the Lord. Moms teach us many things. I don't know if you're writing notes and cards to your moms, you know. You're remembering some of the things that your mom has taught you. Here's what one man wrote. He said, my mother taught me logic. She said, if you fall and break your legs, don't come running to me. He said, my mother taught me justice. One day you'll have kids and I hope they turn out just like you. My mother made me prayerful. She said, you better pray this comes out of the carpet. We train our kids, sometimes a little foolishly, but we do. We read books. Moms and dads read books and take courses on parenting, and I think that's all wonderful. We should do everything we can to do the best job we can. I think sometimes we forget, of course, to ask whether these books or what they're saying is really in line with what Scripture, our Lord, our God is teaching us because nurture is from the Lord. And wise mothers always rely on the Lord. They rely more than anything on his word and the insights God gives them into human nature. And they pray for the Holy Spirit to help them to see what's going on in each child's heart and how God wants each one to be nurtured. That's the way of wisdom. But, oh, I'm so sorry to say this, but the results are not in your hands. Look at Sarah. I mentioned her a few moments ago. I think moms can't help, but being at least tempted to take over for God now and then. Moms control a child's life so completely. You know, baby's born when the baby's bedtime is, when it's time for the baby to wake, when it's time for the baby to feed, when the baby's crying for no reason and needs to be allowed to cry, when the baby needs to be picked up, when the baby needs to be changed, everything. Who can hold the baby? Who can't hold the baby? Mom controls every aspect of the baby's life. And it's easy to think that moms have the same control over their little hearts. So God promised Sarah that Isaac was the child of promise. But here was Hagar, and she had had Ishmael, who was the surrogate, the son that had been, in a manner of speaking, adopted by Rachel. Now, Ishmael was some 14 years older than Isaac. And I can imagine Sarah watching. Ishmael would go off with, His dad, Abraham. Maybe they went fishing and hunting. I don't know. Maybe he helped Abraham with the chores around the ranch. He was getting close to his dad and maybe that bothered Sarah. What about Isaac? What about my Isaac? And it says in scripture that one day, Sarah saw the older Ishmael teasing the little Isaac. Ah, she couldn't stand it. You know how that is. Mom's blood boils if any of their children are teased or bothered or hurt by someone else. And she said, get out of my house. Hagar, Ishmael, out of my house. And they had to leave. Control, protect, provide for my children. The perfect environment in which they can grow and they can experience my love. As you read the text in Genesis 21 and on, the blessings came from the Lord. Actually, God blessed Isaac, yes, but God had a blessing for Ishmael also, distinctive. But God's blessings nevertheless, it's from the hand of God that finally children are blessed, not from our control. I think her daughter-in-law, Rebecca, learned it from Sarah. She faced the same challenge. She knew because God had told her, she knew that the younger son, Jacob, would end up being the leader. And the older son, Esau, would actually serve the younger son, Jacob, which was all topsy-turvy. It's not the way things are supposed to be. But all oh, her husband, Isaac, old and blind, just didn't seem to get it. And he was about to, foolish man, he was about to bless Esau. And Rebecca just couldn't stand it. And so she intervened. She had a plan, a devious plan, to fool Isaac into blessing Jacob. And it worked. It was wonderful, right? Except who gets the credit then? Even Jacob, what did he see? Oh, my mother's cleverness got me the blessing that I wanted from my father. Or, or will Jacob see it was the Lord God fulfilling his word to me. Nothing can thwart God's word. What lesson would Jacob learn? Godly mothers know that what God calls them to do, which is to raise their children to reverence Christ And to know his word is something that only God can accomplish. God is sovereign over their growth. And that's evident to all their children. They see it in their lives, in the lives of the mothers. And so that brings me to the last, salvation. The most important thing. We long for this for our children. And let children see that salvation and eternal life is from the Lord. I know we believe this, like, right, theologically. But let them see it in the way we raise them and the way we hope for them and the way we pray for them. Salvation is not inherited. You can be raised in the best Christian home, but that's not enough. You can be taught all the scriptures. You can memorize the whole Bible, and that's not enough. You can know every answer in every Sunday school class that you ever take, and that's not enough. I think God's ways are inscrutable to us, but he is God and he is the Savior. He saves Boys and girls, he saves men and women. Sarah loved Isaac. I don't know what Isaac's experience of God was growing up. He certainly knew it secondhand, right, through his mother and his father. But one day, one day the little boy was taken by his dad. And maybe Sarah asked, oh, where are you taking Isaac? And Abraham said, maybe quietly, maybe afraid to, Meet Sarah's eyes. He says, I'm, I'm taking him to Mount Moriah for worship. Quietly, because God had told Abraham, take your only son, the one you love, and offer him on Mount Moriah as a burnt offering. Oh, man. I wonder if the questions that Isaac asked his dad on the journey to Mount Moriah weren't things that Sarah herself was wondering as she was dressing Isaac and getting him ready for this trip. Isaac asked, my father, here's the wood for the burnt offering, but where's the lamb? And I think quietly, trembling, but with faith in God, Abraham said, God will provide. And so Isaac kept marching along. He continued marching with his dad. I think trusting in the faith of his father more than having his own faith in the living God at that point. But then I think on Mount Moriah, Isaac experienced something that we all long for our children to experience. He saw directly the word of God fulfilled. He saw God's grace and provision because as they got to the mount, God stopped Abraham and he saw there in the thicket a ram and God said, that's the real sacrifice. That's the substitute. That's my provision for you. And Isaac experienced there that God is God. He keeps his word. He provides He experienced the wonder of God ruling over their lives. Moms are not in control. Moms can protect and guard, but moms cannot bring them to the experience of the living God. Boy, we want to bless our children, don't we? We want them to be happy in everything that they do. Moms want to control every aspect of their lives because they love their children. They want to use all their wisdom and strength and power to make their children as happy as possible. Of course they do. I've shared this before, and I can't forget it. I remember watching this little group of kids playing soccer. It was some town league. I think they were first grade, maybe, running back and forth, mostly chaos. In the goalie was a little boy, and not much into the game, really. He was sitting cross-legged on the ground making a pile of dirt, just kind of like this. And the other team in a chaotic way, started moving the ball this way. And, oh, one kid broke free and was moving for the goal. And the mom of the goalie moved behind the goal and started screaming, get up, get up, get up. And the boy was just sort of looking around, what? What's wrong? You know, playing with the dirt. And mom just couldn't stand it as the ball was kicked to the goal. She ran around and kicked the ball away. (laughs) I just want you to be happy. I can't stand the thought of you failing. Can't stand it. So moms write papers for their kids, right? Because let me make sure you get a good grade. Moms do their kids' homework. They yell at teachers and coaches and principals if their child is not treated as well as they think that child deserves. Moms just could care so much. They love so much. They want their child to be happy. And they want to control every aspect of the child's life. But man, children are not in your control. The most important parts of your children's life are not in your control. They come with DNA from God. Who can explain why your children do what they do? They have mysterious inclinations that you can't explain. Why son, why do you do that? It's how they're made. And their days are not gonna unfold according to your plan, but according to the plan God has written for them. That's what the Psalmist said, Psalm 139 verse 16 talks to God. He says, not to his mother, he talks to God. He says, you saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So what do we do? Well, so wise moms, godly moms, pray because salvation is from the Lord. And that's the chief prayer of every godly mother and for every godly father. Oh, they can be educated. They can get wonderful jobs, they can get married, they can have grandchildren, but oh, that they would know and love and serve Jesus because what's the point of anything else without that? And the answer to that prayer is in God's hands, God's hands. In the fourth century, there was a mom named Monica. She had three children. One of them we know very well, a son named Augustine. She had a husband. The husband did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So she was raising her children as best as she could. She put Augustine in the best schools possible, and as moms are wont to do, she vetoed a few of his marriage proposals because she didn't think they were quite up to snuff for what her son Augustine deserved. Augustine himself was spiritually wayward. He was immoral, a womanizer. He chased after women left and right. In fact, I think nowadays we might describe it as saying that was his lifestyle. Because he writes in his autobiography that he couldn't control it. Even when he wanted to, even when he was begging God to, he felt helpless. And he denied the truths of scripture. He began to follow a cult that was contrary to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, what could mom do? Her son, educated, well-trained, well-spoken, eloquent, but didn't know Christ. All mom could do, all Monica could do was pray. And so Augustine writes in his autobiography, he said, My mother shed more tears for my spiritual death than other mothers shed for the bodily death of a son. Can you imagine that? More tears for my spiritual death than other mothers shed for the bodily death of their son. Now that's a praying mom. Sarah Wesley in the 18th century was the mother of John and Charles Wesley who led a revival in England and really led to social and political revolution because of what happened spiritually. And she, oh, she was diligent to train all of her children. There was a lot of them. She invested in them. All of them learned how to read Latin and Greek. From earliest days. They could read the New Testament for themselves in the original languages. They could recite every aspect of the gospel. They knew the gospel. They were trained in it from earliest days. Of course, John and Charles Wesley became famous, as I said, for preaching the gospel. And some of the sons and daughters were just burning with a zeal and a love for Christ as they grew up. But some of the daughters married men who were addicted to alcohol Some who were womanizers, they were abused and mistreated in many ways. Some of these girls, because they ran away from home chasing these men, thinking that's where happiness was. And oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine Sarah Wesley's heartbreak at seeing what was happening to her children? It's in the hands of the Lord. With all the training, all the teaching, it's still in the hands of the Lord. All were trained, but salvation is not through parenting, is it? I think we know that, right? Salvation doesn't come by proper and Christian parenting. Salvation is by grace through faith. And so what do moms do? Well, moms pray and pray and pray. It's from the Lord. So I want to close with this verse in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. A few chapters earlier than the text that was read, Paul says, We have this treasure in earthen or clay vessels, So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Mothers are clay vessels, you see, so that the glory will finally be of God. So that the grace and the power of God can shine through and the attention will be on our Lord and on our Savior. Even more than on the wonderful love of mothers. So let your children see that you're just a clay vessel. Uh, Children, I'm not perfect, and I hope you know that. And I want to tell you the ways in which I'm not perfect. I'm not perfectly round and beautiful and formed just the way a vase should be, but there's cracks and, and marks all over me. I'm scratched. But I want you to see what's inside me. I want you to see how I rely on the grace and the power of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Clay vessels filled with the grace of God, exhibiting in everything that they do, their faith in God's power and strength. I don't know, I've I've heard of moms, and maybe some of you moms have said to your children, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of this world. Better for moms to say, I'm so sorry you're not happy with what I said, but you know what, my job is not to please you, but to please the one who gave you to me. Because children are a gift from the Lord. Let them see that. When children ask why, you know, I I like the answer that says, why? Because I said so. But it's incomplete, isn't it? In some way, in some measure, we have to explain to them that, no, mom is not a dictator. She's not an autocrat. She doesn't think all authority resides in her now and forever over your life. But I myself am under a Lord. I myself am under an authority. All authority is from the Lord and, oh, my son, my daughter, God put me in charge of you. It's a hard job, but God put me in charge of you and I want to do a good job exercising that authority. And moms, let the children see you praying, praying with tears that they would come to know and love and serve Jesus because nothing else is more important. It's in God's hands, children. I want you to know this. If he ever invites you, If you ever feel the tug of his spirit on your heart, please don't say no. Because that's what I've been praying for all the days of my life. Pray, pray that the children will see God's grace and God's strength in you. God's hope in you. Hope for their salvation. Amen. Lord, we thank you for every mother here. Thank you for mothers that are watching on live stream. We thank you, Lord, for our mothers who have gone on to be with you. We are grateful, Lord, for all that they taught us. Especially grateful, Lord, that you were at work through them. Some were able to very wisely direct our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. But in every case, Spirit of God, you were able to use what we saw, what was missing, what was wonderful, what was sinful. You were able to use all those things, Lord, to show us that we as your children are in need of a Savior. And We thank you for that. Thank you for your invitation to each of us, Lord, and we say yes to it again now. Thank you for being our Lord and our Savior. In your holy name, amen.